When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And everyone shout amen. amen. Please be seated. I want to encourage you uh, later today, tonight, tomorrow, maybe around a cup of coffee in a coffee shop or at home around your dinner table, etc., with family or friends. Read the whole chapter of, of Matthew chapter 2. It's an opportunity for you to experience the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, uh, through Matthew's eyes. Now ask the person next to you, what is the wonder of Christmas? That's what we're going to try to unpack this morning with our, with our teaching. Matthew would suggest to us that in order to uncover the wonder, the thing that is most astonishing and delightful and surprising about Christmas, we will have to start by naming the dark places in our lives. Everybody shout, dark places. What are the dark places, you ask? The dark places that are in our lives are those places that are filled with unspeakable pain. Uh, those places that have uh, real and perhaps indescribable fear about what tomorrow will bring. Those places of audacious confusion that we, we bring into this place with us today. They are among the dark places in our lives. And if we seek to experience Christmas without acknowledging those places of pain and fear, then Christmas at best will feel artificial to us. And at worst, It'll feel like a holiday entertainment detached from any real sense of wonder. Everybody shout darkness. As easy as it was for Jesus to be born at night, he could have been born during the daytime. But he was born at night and, and his coming to be a part of us uh, in the midst of the darkness uh, becomes in a real sense the metaphor that works itself through uh, uh, scripture and also through the Christmas carols. For example, you recall, help me with this, finish this for me. Uh, uh, it came upon the glorious song of old. In order to hear the glorious song of old, the writer's saying, it's against the, it's, it's, it's against the backdrop of a midnight clear. You recall in Old Little Town of Bethlehem, the portion of the verse that, that says, uh, Yet uh, in your dark streets shineth an everlasting light. In order to experience the everlasting light, uh, it comes against the backdrop of dark streets. You see? In Bethlehem. And then I can almost hear uh, the, those old plastic platinum records spinning on that old machine that my grandmother used to play. And I can hear Mahalia Jackson sounding out in all of her glorious eloquence, 
silent night. You see, the darkness is worked into the Christmas experience. As a matter of fact, uh, the baby was born, Christ came, God shows up in the It has everything to do with about God attending to us, especially in the dark places of our lives. So, so many of us come today, and I know people in my lives for whom Christmas is the place where you're dealing with the, the grief of the loss of loved ones, death. Some people who I know that this is the first Christmas that they're going to experience without their spouse or their child or their parents. I know people right now who just in the last 24 hours they have lost a loved one. And so often we seek to kind of, well, we'll just keep that to ourselves. And we'll just blend in. But we're numb to what's going on around. And what Matthew would say to you and what Jesus kind of screams from the balcony of eternity, no, this is what Christmas is all about. It starts right there with a God who meets you in the dark places. How else can you see the glorious light? So... Uh, Matthew would have us to say, okay, let's own it, let's name it, let's stare at the thickness of the pain, the uncertainty, let's stare, stare at the thickness of the, the dark places in our lives, and only then can you hear Matthew say, uh, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Dr. King used to say, I used to love reading and hearing on tapes as he would say to encourage his people. He would say, only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. <laughs> say it with me. Only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. In our text is a star that uh, is a secondary wonder that is pointing to the primary wonder, the child that's born in the house. It's important to remember that the Magi, the wise men, uh, they are learned men. They have a scientific mind as they study the stars. They, they, are, they, are, they are educated. They've studied the pages of history. And, and, and they've discovered that, that perhaps a strange phenomenon in the heavens means that something audaciously unusual is happening on the planet. Uh, and so they come to seek it out because they read somewhere that in some given point that one would be born in Bethlehem as king that would have a universal authority over all the world and so they came to find the king of the Jews and the wonder of the star stops over this this plain kind of poverty stricken house and and the text says they enter in and there they find this child with his mother Mary which identifies the child as Jesus now Matthew would have you to know that he is not writing these events as they were currently unfolding. Matthew wants you to know that he writes these events from a different perspective, that, that Matthew would say that I actually met that little child that was born in Bethlehem 
30 years later, when, when that one named Jesus was 30 years old, I ran into him, Matthew says. I was a tax collector. I was, I was, I was swindling my people out of money in my pursuit of power. But what I encountered in Jesus was so radically filled with love, was so transformational in how he thought about life and eternity that it revolutionized my living and I became one of his followers, Matthew would say. And this chapter 2 is really the beginning of a theological treaty. And he tells the story of Jesus from birth. And Matthew would say, I was there. I saw the miracles that flow through his, his life and his body. And he writes about it in the book of Matthew. And he says, I was, I, I, I was around when the thick darkness of his crucifixion occurred. And he writes about it in the book of Matthew. And he says, and sure enough, I was there hiding in a room when I thought he, was, he had been killed for good. And that death had spoken. And it was all over. And I was afraid for my life. And then, I, I, you know, out of the blue, come on now, with locked doors, that same Jesus shows up in the room with me and my disciples and my other friends. And, and for the next 500 days, we had repeated encounters. And, 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 and he writes about how before he goes back to heaven, he commissions us to tell the world that even death is powerless in the face of this little baby that was born. So Matthew says, I'm writing about the wonder of Christmas that is found in Jesus, having walked with him through the full breath of his life, and he ascent back to eternity. And so I, I want you to see as I write this, Matthew says, I'm pointing you to some revelations about who Jesus is that will help you in your dark places. And will help you find the wonder, which is essentially... The wonder of God's love at Christmas. First revelation is found about who Jesus is. It's really found as he writes about what the fellas do when they first encounter this little baby. They fall on their face and they worship him. Everybody shout worship. worship. Now that says, if you read in the Greek, you know there's a play on the word. The word actually could be translated to pay homage to, to pay respect to. And of course, it makes sense that if you lived in that day and you came from Babylon or Persia, you were familiar with the, with the tradition that if you come into the presence of a king, you would fall on your face and you'd kiss the king's feet, you'd kiss the, the, the hem of the king's garment. And, and so really, uh, they failed to pay homage. But, 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 but what Matthew is saying is that as these, as these Gentiles would fall to pay homage, that, that what he Saul was the revelation, a reminder of who that child really was. And, and he had written about it in chapter 1 when he said that that child was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He indeed was Emmanuel, God with us. Tell the person next to you, Jesus is God with you. Tell him. And if he's God with us, he's the redeeming God that is worthy of our worship. Now, what does that have to do? If that's part of the, the, the wonder of Christmas, how does that help me in my dark places? Well, here it is. Listen to me. If Jesus is, in fact, God who's with us, then it is a word of assurance in our most dark hours 
a word that says to us that if the God of the universe is with me, then whatever I'm facing at this moment, the breakup of family, whatever I'm facing at this moment, navigating chemo treatment and dialysis, and whatever I'm facing at this moment, if the God of the universe is with me, I can make it. Tell the person next to you, you can make it with God. You can make it. I know I got some witnesses here. I know I got some people somewhere here who could remember where you were three years ago in a place of grief, who can remember where you were three or four or two years ago when your life was in shambles and you had no idea how you would make it. But, but, but because the God of the universe, Emmanuel, God with us, walked you through it, you sit here, you listen to this message today. You become a witness that in Jesus, Emmanuel, See, that's where Christmas starts. It's a wonder. God is with us, and he's worthy to be worshipped. The second thing that Mark would have us to say is, he would say, I want you to note the, the gifts. By the way, as an aside, I want, isn't it interesting that when they come into the presence of Jesus, that they break out in spontaneous generosity? And that's fascinating. And, and I always like to say that real, I, I like to say that Jesus followers who have matured find it absolutely impossible to be stingy. How can you be stingy as a Jesus follower when the very essence of your faith comes from one who gave his all so that you might have all? So tell the person next to you, don't be stingy, don't be stingy. It's the power of what we did at these two schools as we, as we gave more than nearly 3,000 hours of community service, gave away over $100,000. It was a reminder that Jesus' followers are generous, not stingy. Amen. That's how we express love. But Matthew would say, well, I want you to look at these gifts. As I have the vantage point of, 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 of being a disciple of Jesus on the other side of his resurrection, and I see revelations of who he is in these gifts. First of all, notice that they gave the gift of gold. Everybody shout gold. Gold, gold was both then and now king among metals. It was clearly the tradition that if you came before a king, you would give to that king gold if you could. That honors the king. So what Matthew is saying is that when they gave the gift of gold, it is a reminder of the greater revelation that Jesus is not merely the king of the Jews. Shout king! king. Jesus, Matthew would have you to know, is best described in the words of the writer of Revelation, who was also a Jesus follower. As he opens the book of Revelation and reminds us, you know, that, that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the beginning of all things and the ending of all things. And, and we live our lives in the parenthesis of Jesus. Come on now. And that when history rolls up, Jesus will return and written on his side will be the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's 
history way of saying that one day every knee, no matter how powerful, how poor, how wealthy, how marginalized you feel you are, one day all of us will bow before the throne of Jesus. For well, he's king of all. Now, on one level, we applaud it with a sense of joy. But on the other level, we kind of relate to Harold in the story, King Harold. You know, the broader reading of the story is that there's a king there by the name of King Herod. And uh, there are two things I want to point out about King Herod. Number one, Herod was known as Herod the Great. Everybody shout, the Great. He added the Great to his name because that's how he wanted history to remember him. As one who has accomplished great things. I want to suggest to you that in some ways we relate to Herod in that sense, don't we? Because in a lot of our own living, there's a desire to be remembered by somebody as a great something. Everybody say great. Some of us, we want to be great in our industry, in our career. Others, we want to be great as an athlete. For example, for a Steph Curry. Uh, 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 still others, uh, we just want to be great parents, uh, great grandparents. Uh, we, want, we want the kids to remember us as, as, as being great. So great. All right, just to help us to come comfortable with this notion, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to introduce yourself. And here's how I want you to introduce yourself. I want you to tell them your first name and simply ask the great at the end of it so you know I'm Herman the great so just turn to different people just come on just say hello I am <laughs> all right And if you're listening by video, you can just say, I am, and just say, I'm the great. <laughs> we all want to be a great something. Herod's challenge, therefore, then, is it dawned on him. See, he, he held the, the title of king of Jews. And it dawned on Herod. Herod. There can't be two kings of the Jews at the same time. If Jesus is to be the king of the Jews, that would mean that Herod would have to step down off his throne and he would have to trust his destiny, his future, his, his, his desire to be remembered by history to this one called Jesus. And, 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 and this disturbed Herod. And, and if the truth be told, I, I, if I share to you, if I challenge you to say that Jesus says, I want to be king of your life, uh, 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 the truth be told, many of us, we would be, the, we, we, we're disturbed by that fact because, because that means we have to step down off the throne of our lives and surrender the authority of our destiny to this one called Jesus. And, and that's kind of uncomfortable because we don't want anybody ruling over us because the human experience reminds us that when people rule over us, they tend to abuse us. We don't think we can trust Jesus with our future and our dreams and our hopes. Matthew says, 
The reason I became a follower of Jesus and changed from my life of swindling my people is that I discovered that I could trust King Jesus with the future, with my future, my dreams, my hope, my time, and my eternity. Because Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus does not rule from a throne throwing edicts around. Jesus rules, is anchored in a cross from where he released love that flowed through his self-sacrifice. Why can't you trust him to be king? Authority. And so Jesus is not, is not interested in commanding every detail of your life. That's why he gave you a brain. He's more interested in guiding, exercising his kingship by guiding you through life's bigger details. Let me see, can I illustrate it? Uh, one of my favorite movies of this year is Harriet, the movie of Harriet Tubman. And I had found this clip that I wanted to play, and I had my communication people to clip it, cut it. But then they said, Pastor, you can't play this. I said, I said no, I want to play it. She said, you cannot play it. I said, I want to play it. They said, oh, hey, Pastor, you can play it. The movie's still in the theater, but if you play it, and we put it out on the internet because of copyright violations, they're going to put you in jail, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> so you can play it. And since I decided I didn't want the elders and Pastor Tilden to have to bail me out of jail before Christmas, I decided not to play it. <laughs> so I'll just tell you the story. One of the things that I love most about the movie of Harriet. You know Harriet Tubman, she leads hundreds of people out of slavery against all of the odds. But what's great about this movie is it does not try to dumb down the role that faith played in her life. And the movie reveals the fact that she had a unique relationship with this one I call the loving king who seeks to guide us. And she would from time to time fall under the power of God and in those trance he would give guidance. There's one particular scene. It's late at night. She has gone, she's gone back to rescue her family. And they have come to this bridge. And the enemy has found out about them. And they are camped on the other side of the bridge, ready to ambush them. And just before they go onto the bridge, the power of God falls on Harriet. And when she comes out of it, she says to the folk who are with us, we can't go across that bridge. Trouble awaits us. Her brother was in the crowd, and so the crowd began to say, what should we do? And Harriet, sensing the guidance of God, turns and looks at the fast-rolling river, and she says, we're going to go over that. We're going to cross that river. Her brother has had enough. He says, oh, you crazy. You've lost your mind. There's no way we can cross that river. Uh, and he says, you know what? I'm assuming charge of the people right now. Uh, let's get ready. We're going to go. And Harriet realized that when you're talking with stupidity, stop arguing. <laughs> So she just got a gun, come on now, and she just started walking. 
And as she started walking, she walked in the river and everybody's watching her. She's just, she's descending into the water and the water is rising up. But what she's saying as she's walking, because she knows he has guided her. He, he says, lead me, Jesus, lead me. And, 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 and King Jesus, come on now, uh, uh, is obviously whispering, step left, step right. And, 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 and unknowing to anybody else, that clearly was a thin passageway. Come on now. And as she went down, she came back up and she came out on the other side and the folk look and said we going with her come on now because she obviously knows somebody who can make a way out of no way shout hallelujah but only if you will allow Jesus the baby born to be loving king of your life step off the throne and then, of course, there is the frankincense. You know, if you look at the word frankincense, you'll see the word incense in the word. Frankincense was used by the priests of that day, particularly the high priest. This is the one who was in charge of all the other priests. And the high priest was the one who would, uh, would make uh, offerings, sin offerings, on behalf of the people so that they could get it right with God. The, the priest was the, the bridge builder, if you will, between the people and God. Matthew would say that when he saw the gift of frankincense being give, given, he said that's another revelation of the wonder of Christmas in Jesus. Well, not only is Jesus a, a, a redeeming God to be worshipped and a loving king to be followed, but Jesus is the great high priest. I'm going to give you a great chapter, a great passage from Hebrews chapter 4. It comes alongside Matthew and, and affirms this in verse four, uh, 14 through 16. Here's what he writes. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do yet. He did not sin, was not overcome by them. And then the next verse says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Amen. Shout, when we need it most. Amen. Let me give you the translation. I'm going to show you. Here's the application. For how Christmas helps us in our dark places. Right here at Jesus is the high priest. Here it is. Let me first give you the context. Do you want to grow in your career? Do you want to grow in your relationships with those who are near you? I'm going to talk about this in my opening series next year. Handle with care. Uh, do you want to be a better spouse, a better grandparent, a, 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 a better child or adult child? Do you want to grow in your relationships? Do you? You want to reach the next level? There's one indispensable character trait you need in order to grow. Here's what it is. You need to be able to own your stuff. Tell the person next to you, you've got to own your stuff. You've got to own your stuff. You've got to be able to say, you know, I was dishonest. You've got to be able to say, my skills are poor in this area. You've got to be able to say, you know, you know I was manipulating in that time. But I want, to, I want to be honest about it. And what 
uh, Hebrew writer says and Matthew confirms is that Jesus is the great high priest. He is a safe place for you to come and own your stuff. And he, you will find empathy there and, and, and one who, who loves you. Listen, when you own your stuff, when you confess your sins, when you acknowledge your brokenness, Jesus will not shout a uh, 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 profanity back at you. Jesus will not turn his back on you. Jesus will not remind you of how horrible you are with the evidence of what you've given him. No, Jesus says, I know how hard it is to be human. I know how challenging it is to, to grow up in a broken world. Here is some grace. Here is some mercy. Let's keep working on it. But the gift he gives us is the gift that comes only with us owning our stuff. If we can learn to own our stuff with him, then we develop the character trait of being able to own our stuff with people. Now, just in case some of you are sitting here and my phone is asking me, are you okay? <laughs> Tell the person next to you, he's okay, he's okay. In order, if you're sitting here thinking, my gosh, I hope my friend or my spouse who's sitting next to me, I hope they hear this. Own your stuff. <laughs> oh, I wish my kids were here to hear this. I'm going to send them the video. Own your stuff. <laughs> well, there's a word for you. If you want people to own your stuff, you got to learn from Jesus, the high priest. See, what Jesus does, he makes it safe for people to own their stuff. If you are an employer who wants to make it safe for employees to own their stuff around you, a parent who wants to make it safe for kids to own your stuff, then when they come honestly to you and says, this is what happened, this is what went down, don't scream and yell at them. Don't call them all kinds of names. Don't shut them out your life. Don't use it and make it a noose around their neck and hang them up and say, see, you, you are worthy of death. Oh, no. You have to be empathetic. You have to remember one day in your life somewhere you got some stuff. You know what it's like to be human, don't you? You create a safe place. That comes from knowing Jesus as the great high priest who is your model. That's the wonder of Christmas, you see. And then lastly, Matthew says, I saw that they gave him uh, myrrh. Matthew says, I know the tradition of myrrh. It's a beautiful uh, raisin extract. Uh, it, it perfumes. He says, you know, in the Jewish tradition, we use it in even the anointing hall. He says, but it was yet another revelation of the wonder of Jesus. Because he says, I also know that Nicodemus and, and his friends took a hundred pounds of myrrh and used it to embalm the body of Jesus. He says, when I see the gift of myrrh, I'm, I'm thinking about that and and it just reminds me of, a, of an argument I had with my daughter recently, my 15-year-old daughter. She, she, uh, she brought this home the other day from her ceramics. Uh, it is a uniquely made skull. 
It's quite beautiful, and since my daughter made it, it's, it rivals Picasso and, and all of those, because, you know, my daughter made it, of course. <laughs> so she brought it home and showed it to me, I thought it was fabulous. And then we put up the tree, uh, Brother Ed, we put up the tree, and, and to my total shock, she took this and put it at the top of the tree. <laughs> I said, girl, what are you putting a skull on the tree for? She said, Dad, I wanted to be on top of the tree. I said, no, you can't put that on the tree. It's a skull. Uh, I, I, I said, a star yeah, goes up there. I, I want to see a star, an angel, not a skull. <laughs> she, she, said, she said, but Daddy, you, you, but Jesus died. I said, yes, but that's Easter. This is Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> Stay focused. Star, angel. <laughs> It turns out Matthew agrees with my daughter. <laughs> Matter of fact, she told me last night she might sue me for artistic rights to this story. <laughs> Matthew says at Christmas, there's wonder in knowing that Jesus is a redeeming God worthy to be worshipped. That's an expression of the wonder of God's love. Has come to be with you. He says, there's wonder in knowing that Jesus is a loving king who will lead you through the great issues of life. Well, that's an expression of the wonder of God's love for you. Matthew says, it's a, it's a wonder to realize that Jesus is the grand high priest that invites you and makes it safe for you to own your stuff so you can keep growing in character and destiny. Models how you make safe places for others. It's another expression of the wonder of God's love in Jesus. But he says, don't forget. As a matter of fact, remember it especially at Christmas. That Jesus is the one. He's the only one who ultimately would die on a rugged cross for the sins of the world. That includes us. And death would be allowed to speak. But on the third day, he would break the chains of death and he'd get up with all authority and power of heaven and earth in his hand. And Jesus is proof that there's life after death. Jesus is proof that, yes, death will be allowed to speak in all of our lives. But he says to us, if you know Jesus, just make your peace with death because death will speak, but it will not have the last word. Jesus, the resurrected one, the grand savior, he will have the last word. There is the great wonder that helps me through my grief, that carries me forward to remember that one day on the other side of this life, there's a greater life, and I look forward to a great reunion with all of the saints of God. Somebody just simply say, what a wonder in Jesus. Merry Christmas. Give God a hand, Grace.